0: She had the option of marrying that English lord at the end. He yeah, and, and
1: that's literally, they show that scene. and then, like three pages later, it's like, Cut to Julie Andrews.
2: Wait, did she marry? Was that the same guy who proposed nah, to her? No, she, was that I think? she goes to Iceland. Okay, I actually missed that. I assumed that she just eventually said, "Yeah, I'll marry the guy," because she refuses marriage. And then I figure, oh, okay, apparently she's down with it after all. Everyone is just like it was like a bearded dude. So I figured, so they all look sort of similar. Are you saying all white people with beards look the same? Right? I never said anything. I never. I never mentioned race. You mentioned race.
0: Maybe they're the same guy, but if he is, he gave up his lordships and went to Iceland.
2: Yeah. Yeah, She seems worth it. There's another love story in the margins of this one where the guy falls in love with a scruffy rebel girl and gives up his lordships and lives in a field like a hippie. (laughs) Also a discarded name for this podcast. right remember that time a bunch of ruthless savages raided one of our most hallowed grounds indeed those hot peppers can really ravage your butthole i don't know if i want to relive that though <laughs> i <I'm... laughs>
1: we have to man we have to i mean these thugs were wearing viking helmets and war paint they broke down the defenses they attacked its protectors they pooped in the sacred chambers and they left destruction in their wake there is definitely
2: pooping in sacred white chambers Wait, wait, wait. What are you talking about? I'm talking about this week's comics, Sword Daughter. I'm talking about the curry challenge at this back alley Indian dive called Sword Stomach. Don't you tread on me. I'm Ryan Joe, And I'm Roman Segal, And we're two guys in recovery. Can't we all just get along? If we got along, we wouldn't have a podcast.
1: (laughs) This week we're reading Sword Daughter, created by Brian Wood and Mac Chatter-Chater- It is a short and sweet epic of one father and daughter's quest to seek revenge against the ruthless Vikings that destroyed their lives.
2: Though it is unclear if the bad guys were actually Vikings or just a rogue hockey team. They did have masks, and they were pretty scary. Writer
1: Brian Wood is no stranger to historical fiction, having written series like Northlanders set in the Viking Age and Rebels set during the Revolutionary War. But I first actually really got into Wood when I discovered and devoured his near-future post-apocalyptic tales like DMZ and The Massive.
2: What else will you find yourself devouring in the apocalypse, Roman? Well... I'm just kidding. Don't answer that. (laughs) What else did Brian Wood write?
1: (laughs) Well... What actually also wrote a bunch of Star Wars, X-Men, Conan the Barbarian, and Robocop? Sounds like a fantastic payday. (laughs) But we are here to talk about Sword Daughter. The book is set 1,000 years ago where the murderous 40 Swords clan has burned a village to the ground, leaving just two people alive, Dag, a shattered father, and Elspeth, his teenage daughter. Setting off a revenge quest that will span the width of Viking Age Europe, the two find that only the swords they carry can mend the damage in their hearts. It's a beautiful and often heart-wrenching story of loss and guilt on a quest for revenge and closure.
2: And joining us for such a cheery romp through the Nordic no- northern lands is our resident Viking expert, Penn Gentner. Uh, fun fact about Penn, he actually survived the Blood Eagle. Congratulations, Penn, and welcome to Quarantine Comics.
1: <laughs> Wait, is the Blood Eagle a dish at that Indian restaurant you were talking about?
2: <laughs> Penn, tell him about the Blood Eagle.
0: It's a pleasure to be on the show. The Blood Eagle is actually a ritualistic murder in which uh, somebody's back is carved open and basically their insides are pulled out to look like wings. It's usually for somebody who betrayed somebody.
2: And you survived this? Uh, (laughs) he was winded a little bit, but he's, he's got his wind back and now he's ready to talk about sword daughter. (laughs) Well, there we go.
1: Well, Ben, uh, It's great to have you here, but I guess before we uh, get into the book itself, I'd love to learn
0: a little bit more about you. What
1: stuff are you into from a pop culture sensibility standpoint?
0: Well, in terms of comics, I've really enjoyed Watchmen, Frank Miller's Dark Knight, some non-superhero stuff like Art Spiegelman's mouse and sort of like comics verite, like Chris Ware and uh, Alison Bechdel. And uh, yeah, in terms of television right now, I am watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
1: Nice. Uh, you know, someone blew my mind at a party once when they told me DS9 was a allegory for the Israel-Palestine conflict. I don't know if it holds up because I haven't rewatched it yet, but I want to watch it through that lens. I have heard that.
0: Yeah, I need to see more of the series. I'm uh, still pretty early into it.
1: Although one thing I actually just told a friend, I think the best Trek show on TV right now is is Lower Decks. It's a cartoon. It's so good. It's not even funny. I'd love to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's jump right in. Brian, what'd you think of S-Word Daughter?
2: <laughs> I really wanted to like it. I, I really like Revenge Stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I had a lot of problems with it. Fundamentally, it's not told in a linear fashion, which is cool. You can sometimes do really cool things with it. And I was waiting for Brian Wood to do something really interesting with the way it was structured, which would reveal something about the story with the relationship between the, the father and the daughter or with the history of the daughter, something interesting. And ultimately, the reason I think Brian Wood chose that structure is because he didn't think through all of the storylines or how things add up. And in chopping it up and scattering it in non-linear fashion, it, to me, disguised the fact that the story was fundamentally incomplete. It's just like a series of occasionally interesting scenes told non-chronologically. And, of course, at the end, uh, the father and the daughter kill their way through the wherever the hell they are. And revenge complete. And so I wasn't expecting the sun, the moon, the earth and all that stuff because it is is a short story but I was expecting it to be a little bit more impactful emotionally. I was expecting it to be a lot more visceral than it actually was and I was expecting it to 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 make more sense I guess at the end. I'll the thing I'll agree with you on is I
1: did expect more because this is one of the few Brian Wood things I hadn't read and I literally expected more. I thought it was going to be greater than three volumes. And, and it, it felt incomplete. It felt wanting something and I couldn't put my finger on it. But what I got, I appreciated. I don't know. What about you, Pat? Uh, you have some Brian Wood experience, right? With like Northlanders and stuff?
0: Yes. Uh, a few Christmases ago, Ryan got me uh, the first installment of Northlanders. And I, I mm. enjoyed that more. The details more specific. The scope is broader. The yeah. art is more elaborate and the colors are richer. Yeah, I really agree with Brian here. The story like goes out of its way to ask some questions about itself that it specifically like does not try to answer. <laughs> yeah.
1: And to be clear, this was my first time reading this. It had been on my like wish list of things I've been wanting to read for a while because I really like everything else Brian Wood does. And this one felt like, Brian, you made the joke in the intro about collecting a paycheck. I, I, I don't think this was collecting a paycheck, but this was like, okay, I want to tell a short and sweet thing and not i don't know i mean i didn't mind the non-linear plot because the flashback scenes and the current day of the main plot proceeded linearly together but they
2: didn't seem to intersect much like a lost episode does right they just yeah yeah, I don't mind a nonlinear plot. I just don't see what the point of it here was other than to mask the fact. Here, Here's actually what it feels like to me. It feels like uh, Brian Wood has scraps of a story that he discarded, maybe scenes that he didn't put into Northlanders. I don't know. And he just basically chopped it up and tossed it into this story. And so that's why I say it feels... Incomplete, as Penn mentioned, you know, he raises questions that he just really has no interest in answering. And then as I mentioned earlier, the nonlinearity, the fact that it wasn't chronological, felt like it was camouflage. It was camouflage to show that he actually had no intention of answering some of the questions that he was initially posing. So that I just didn't like the fact that it was nonlinear because it was nonlinear. It was because I felt he was kind well, of it wasn't in
1: service of something. It was just flashbacks for the sake of flashbacks sometimes. There, yeah, it wasn't a
0: service of anything. In the third book, there, they get towards a thematic conflict between the, the pagan Northlanders and the, the English church. And mm-hmm. a lot of the flashback stuff goes to like some time that Elspeth spent with some nuns that she really Well, And
1: they want. planted those seeds in book one, and they never touched it for like the body of the book. And then the body of the series. Yeah, in
0: the last book, there's, there's a, a clergy member who she supposedly mm-hmm. recognizes or recognizes her anyway, mm-hmm. but we didn't see him in the flashback.
2: I, I guess my question is why does that stuff because because like you're right in volume three it became a lot more backstory heavy there was a lot more historical context into in which these events were taking place but it felt almost haphazard the way it was thrown in right it almost felt like a distraction to me in part a large part because it wasn't there in volumes one and two. And suddenly it's there. Well, it was briefly in volume one and that's where it felt like, oh, we're about to end this saying, we
1: never touched on the time Ellsworth was with the nuns and what her beef is with them.
2: Right. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it's there just to like show a couple of scenes. It's almost sort of like self-contained. The conflict with, who was it, Penn? Was it the English? It's always with the English. It's always with the English. Yeah, let's just say it's the English because yes, yes, always blame the Brits. But it was just there for that scene, for the convenience of that scene because... Elspeth needed to set up some scenario where she could fight the chief bad guy. Who I'm not even yep. sure why he was a chief bad guy, which is another thing I want to talk about chief later on. Not but a chief bad guy, yeah. Did you? Okay, well, I'll just I'll just bitch about that now. Have you guys ever <laughs> read Blade of the Immortal? It's basically the same. Right, it's the same premise. A girl's family is murdered, and she tags along with a hitman to to get bloody revenge. And each volume of Blade of the Immortal, and admittedly, it's a much longer series than Sword Daughter, but each episode of Blade of the Immortal, they're trying to take down a different bad guy, each one who is responsible for killing her family. And each bad guy has a distinct look, a distinct personality, a distinct reason for having participated in the assault on the girl's family. And as you progress, as she progresses, her revenge becomes more complicated because initially the first bad guy she kills is this freaky little serial killer who like stitches the head of of, actually of of the girl's dead mother onto her, onto his shoulders. He's basically just like a monster. And then later on the bad guys start to get a little bit more nuanced in terms of like why they did what they did. And it complicates the girl's quest for revenge. And we have none of that here. And all of the bad guys blend together. There's no real distinction between any of them. And that's a big problem. There's
0: literally a. You turn a page and Dag is like, So, how many did you get? And she's like, 17. And we're, yeah, yeah, we're much further into their like getting done with the 40 swords.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Normally, I'm like fighting tooth and nail with Ryan on things. (laughs) I I do think there were things I enjoyed about this, but I don't know. Like, I do, I, I actually do like feeling being left wanting i don't mind that i don't need i was totally cool with the way lost ended because i didn't need everything explained i was invested in these characters and i found myself wanting to be invested in these characters i really did i think the art lent itself to that some of the expressions i don't know but it's just like again it didn't scratch the itch that i wanted like and ryan i gotta ask have you read anything else by brian wood
2: i read the first volume of dmz a long time ago and then i read yeah. demo which was i think a short story a collection yeah, of collection yeah, of short yeah, stories yeah. about superpowered teens that again was a, a long time ago so i can't say like i really have strong memories or strong opinions about either
1: yeah i, I just think my experience i've had two very different experiences with brian wood so dmz is in the massive is very much like, whoa, this is fucking weird. What a weird take. I'm along for the ride. In fact, I remember reading volume one of DMZ and not enjoying it that much, but I, I think I'd gotten volume one and two from the library. So I was like, I'll keep going. Why not? And I, I wound up following it all the way through to the end. But then when I picked up Rebels and Northlanders, I, I just felt so much texture, right? It's like, oh shit, this is how historical fiction can be done. And that's what I was expecting from this. And I was like, when I read the preview for this before in our last episode, Ryan, like, I was like, oh, my God, it's like a samurai saga in Scandinavia. What's not to love by Brian Wood, that guy that writes stuff I like. And I don't know. Like, is it just it wasn't ambitious enough? It wasn't personal enough.
2: Well, I, I actually think it could have been stripped down more because I think. Really? Is, okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know this sounds sort of you know. So instead of forty like, swords,
1: it would have been like four swords or something.
2: Honestly, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I mean that. Yeah, I meant that seriously. Totally could have been.
2: Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, but also like the narrative, because there could be a lot of power in things that are unspoken. Just mm-hmm. really leaving the characters to be enigmas, driven only by revenge. Maybe that is their only personalities. This this quest for revenge, and it, it, and it actually would. And the art is also takes place a lot in these sort of like sparse. Plains, wintry landscapes. So it actually would make sense to just have like a very pared down story where we as the readers are meant to fill in what really is going on between the the father and the daughter. What is going on between their relationship? What is she thinking when she rescues him? Why does she decide to rescue him when she does? Because it seems like she's like, you know, like that's actually one thing I loved
1: about this book was and I noticed that very early on in book one. It's like wow. It is stripped down. There's a lot less dialogue between the characters. You have to infer between the glances and the plot what's going on in these people's heads because the writer isn't going to tell me. And I, I liked that at the beginning. I actually really, really like that. Yeah. And again, the sparse landscapes, I found the stripped
2: down nature of the art really compelling. Um, yeah. The, there was a the simplicity to it. Yes, he does it sometimes. And the first volume, most notably, he does it. And I was actually into it in the first volume. The issue happens like in volumes two and three, when he starts introducing the nuns, when he starts introducing the mysterious women in the trees who train the daughter, he starts creating these subplots that beg further explanation. And he almost like positions it like there's gonna be more explanation so I almost feel like he should have stripped that out even more maybe instead of being trained by mysterious snow women who are throwing eggs at you yeah have the father train her stuff like that and then you really reduce everything to that singular relationship between the father and the daughter and how that evolves as the father gets injured and then the daughter has to take over the vengeance I just think it would have been a lot more compelling if, as we said in the beginning, he didn't raise questions that he had no intention of answering, because that sets a level of expectation that he ultimately does not rise up to. Well, okay.
1: So I want to ask you guys harder questions. What did you like about this? Pen.
0: (laughs) Okay. There were some fight scenes with like sword choreography where Uh over a sequence of panels, you could clearly see... People that like i I'm not an expert in sword play, but I'll bet a fencer probably say that those moves are accurately executed as far as the art is concerned so yeah it, the, there's some sequences of action that were just like really well visually told
2: for me there were instances where I was sort of like, oh shit, like when the father is maimed right when you see that he's been this badass for so long and then suddenly you see him and he's weakened and his fingers have been chopped off and to see that reversal and then to see the daughter take over the vengeance and for the father to be suddenly more reluctant i really like that reversal from the beginning and again if the whole story had really centered on that that would have been really 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 cool and, and and interesting So there are kernels there that I think are really, really promising. It's just that Brian would emphasize the wrong stuff and at the expense of the more interesting material.
1: Yeah. I I mean, there, there were some elements of the graphic nature of it and I'm not, I'm squeamish. I don't need like brutalation porn or whatever, like, but there were some moments that were visceral. I get, I think because of the simplicity of it, like when they chop off his fingers and other things throughout it, like. It felt, I felt it when I read it. Like, I guess the art, I think the art pulled me along more than the plot did, is my net conclusion with this. Yeah, I just, I feel bad that this is like some of the only Brian Wood that you've read. Like, I I would highly recommend a lot of the
2: Northlanders and the Rebels, because it's just.
1: Well, you guys both read,
2: you guys both read Northlanders. I did not. So I'm just curious how you both feel about Northlanders. Let's maybe we just turn this into like a a Northlanders (laughs) A Northlander's critique, even though I haven't read it.
0: Okay, so Northlander's gives us a real strong sense of place, whereas Mm -hmm. Sword Daughter does not. Like Sword Daughter, yeah, you said it takes. Place. You
1: literally don't know where you are half the time.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of fields, and like it ends at like a half-built church in England, and that's like the only real grounding that it gives us. It says that you're on the Dnieper in, in roofs or whatever, but it doesn't really matter to the characters or the surroundings that they're there. In Northlanders, we get like castles and throne rooms and like big ships, and you're in the middle of an army, and yeah, the visual sense of place is is super strong in Northlanders.
1: Yeah, and I think gosh. I, I can't compare it to Northlanders because I haven't read it in forever. I read Rebels more recently. There was just more of a character arc. And it's it's sad because there's a very clear definition of what the arc of these two intimately connected characters should have. But in Rebels, I just felt like and it, it takes place over multiple decades. You, you meet the characters at the very beginning before the Revolutionary War. You meet them in the middle of it. You meet them towards the end of it. And you're just... You're more invested in them. And again, I was invested in Dag and Ellsworth, but just I was disappointed that I didn't get to know them better because I liked them a
0: lot. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that Wood sets up for us. He's just a lot less interested in than I was.
1: It felt like this was almost a... Down to some of the art, right? I felt like this was like a treatment for something that he wants to pitch as a bigger TV show. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's like just it almost felt like a preview comic. Reading these three volumes, never mind the the conclusion that the plot had. But like, and I did like a happy ending. But it felt like yeah, it felt like a treatment.
0: I went back to the copyright page today, and I was surprised to see that Sword Daughter came out second. It felt like an an idea that he wanted to expand on in Northlanders, but that's not the case.
2: Wait, so so so, sword? you said Sword Daughter came out before Northlanders, or no?
0: Sword Daughter came out afterwards. Well, it's it's the leftover plot right yeah that's what it is for your point in northlanders there is like a uh, a warrior and his daughter story but... huh oh i don't remember that that well how does that one compare to this one it's pretty bleak <laughs>
1: <laughs> there is no happy ending in the field with the daughter with her new children
2: living happily ever after that felt a little insulting honestly like elspeth isn't going to get married she's not a woman who's going to settle down um, she did not know that ending no. I mean, there's nothing to indicate that she had any attraction to him at all, that she was interested in this sort of life. I, it, it, she actually, Elspeth actually, her trajectory is interesting because she starts, like she's mute pretty much. And everyone's shocked when she says goodbye one time. And then, and then later on, she's like this very brusque forward, just says what she means, sort of woman when she gets older. And then later on, she's like a mom and she's frolicking. The f- it's like the sound of freaking music. And- <laughs>
1: That's literally what I thought. Sound of music. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, the ending felt like a real betrayal of the character. I mean, she's like somebody who would just i mean, I see her as just somebody who would just wander around to trying to maybe as a mercenary or something like that or a hired or a hired sword, not as a i'm going to just, yeah, I'm going to build a hut and like dry flowers on the hang dried flowers from the ceiling rafters. that's not
0: she had the option of me- of marrying that English lord at the end.
1: Yeah, and, and that's literally, they show that scene with that conversation and then like three pages later it's like cut to julie andrews
2: wait did she marry was that the same guy who proposed her? she She goes to iceland okay i actually missed that i assumed that she just eventually said yeah i'll marry the guy because she refuses marriage and then i figure oh okay apparently she's down with it after all everyone is just like it was like a bearded dude so i figured (laughs) so they all look sort of similar are you saying all white people with beards look the same right i never said anything i never i never mentioned race you mentioned race (laughs)
0: <laughs> maybe they're the same guy but if he is he gave up his lordships and went to Iceland
2: yeah there's, there's, another, there's another love story in the margins of this one where the guy falls in love with the with with scruffy rebel girl and gives up his lordships and lives in a field like a hippie <laughs> also uh, a discarded name for this podcast But hey Pen. so the other thing you One of the big reasons I wanted you on this podcast is also because the history of the Vikings, you are really well-informed about pretty, I feel like, every facet of Yeah, was the Foot Clan a thing with the Vikings? (laughs) With the (laughs) hockey (laughs) masks? How did this, yeah, how did this add up
0: for you? The the swords in the book look like period swords. The, The clothing on... Most people is pretty accurate, like the heavy roughspun tunics and like, you know, padded wool and stuff on dag. I, the the 40 swords armor does not look familiar. They carry like English or like Crusader style swords, which may not be appropriate here. Um,
1: Like an anachronism? Like it just wasn't at the time?
0: Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, I don't think I just wanted to use the word anachronism. I, I don't think you had like big cross guards and stuff on okay. s- on swords at quite this point in history. But uh, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, there's not a whole lot to go on in terms of like identifying historic stuff. Well,
1: it felt like it, it felt like they were leaning on Japanese samurai storytelling. Like literally, I, I made a joke about teenage mutant ninja turtles a second ago with like the Foot Clan being the 40 swords but even like the snow ninjas with like the cyclops visors and stuff like is that was that a thing i mean I, it was creepy and weird and cool but or was that like i mean did you have like bands of was that a thing like where you it's, literally it's had bands hot. or gangs of people who did shit and had cool costumes and stuff like that
0: it's possible that those are meant to suggest i believe sami is the uh, appropriate term for them they, they live in the north of finland and yeah, they, they have, at this point in time, they had like a more tribal structure than the more European Vikings to their okay. south. The northern, northern Europeans that just live in like, yeah, the very, very northern tip of
2: Scandinavia. Oh, okay. Um, it's like just a community of, just a community of people.
0: Yeah, in, in an area snow. that now now spans Finland, Sweden, and Norway. Mostly oh, okay. okay, got it. But <laughs> I don't know, they... Maybe there are sages among them, but like I don't know, they're not like you don't like go to the, the them to like learn your sword skills or whatever in the way that like you went to a bushido master or whatever in Japan. Yeah.
2: the whole the whole concept of the the kid being tagging along in a murderous rampage. I mean, is that is is that a lone wolf and cub thing? Is there a, I don't I don't know. Is there a story that sort of? predates that because it's sort of like a p- common trope now um, i mentioned blade of the immortal there's obviously lone wolf and cub which is the first that i can think of there is uh the movie the professional right and um, i mean hell even uh, the mandalorian it's a trope, it's a, it's, a trope. it's a trope
1: right. it's a trope yeah
2: so old, old that,
1: warrior that... and the child go off and like kick some ass it's a,
0: yeah it's i a don't even know if that's... It's a classic storytelling trope but yeah it's it's not really something that you find a whole lot in Scandinavian literature it's it's a lot about like groups of people like even if they're talking about a single person like Beowulf or whatever he's still the king of Geatland he's got a bunch of his geats on the boat that help him out so um, he's not
1: a nobody a loner on his own Right
2: hmm. yeah That's interesting wait, wait, I mean I have, wondered, so,
1: I think that was the device it was like let's take this device and apply it let's take this device that i know that we know is popular the professional lone wolf and, wolf and cob the the mandalorian even right and let's apply it to this society and this culture that i happen to know a lot about and i happen to have a lot of credibility about because i wrote northlanders so maybe that's all it was it was uh i want to try this out in this space and again he swung I I, I don't want to say he missed either. I want to say it's a solid double. That's how I feel about this book.
0: So I want to appreciate what this book is doing, like on its own terms. And Mm -hmm. the way I I think I can approach that is by looking at it as like a western. Like, badass rolls into town. The outside of town is like absolute wilderness that sort of like eats people up. There's a gang of mostly faceless bad guys. And he rolls on right on back out of town when he's done. in this, pretty much everybody's the worse off for it. but yeah, it, it like those samurai movies that you're mentioning are a lot like spaghetti westerns and stuff in, the, in that way that like, yeah, you have like villagers, you have badasses, and you have this wilderness.
2: Well, the samurai story and the western, they borrowed very heavily from each other. I mean, I think like some of those samurai stories were informed by the westerns and the westerns that came out afterwards were informed by the by those samurai stories. So I guess this is just like setting those stories, as you mentioned, into in in the in the far north.
1: Well, Um, virgin territory, because it's maybe there. I I feel like there haven't been this is going to sound weird to say, like westerns are done to death. Samurai, ancient Japan. Done to death. Viking stories? Not so much. Like, there, I mean, again, minus like the occasional AMC show and us all liking Chris Hemsworth, there's not a lot in this texture. And some of the things you've just been saying, Penn, I was like, wow, wow, there's a lot of texture to this society and to this culture. And some really crazy shit happened. Let's go there. And like, let's apply all of these. Mythologies and storytelling tropes to it because it's a fun place to set a story that hasn't been done that often.
2: Yeah, yeah. here's a, so one thing you one thing you mentioned, Penn, Like you said, that a lot of the, the the Viking stories there was really about a group of people. They don't really have that lone wolf going out to kill everybody sort of thing. I, I wonder if that's just because the land that they lived on was so inhospitable <laughs> that they had to that they had to rely on on each other in order to survive and so the idea of somebody going out and just stalking somebody in a blizzard um i mean that guy would just probably end up i think so yes you, death.
0: you do need to rely on on other people you you arrive at somebody's like hut or whatever and it's like this deadly cold outside and you need to like warm up before you can do anything there's a lot of that in in the icelandic sagas and there's like Know, there's there's some like singular folk heroes like Egil, Grimson, but like and he he commits sort of offensive acts of violence, but it's violence that is sort of approved by his society or like at least they decide to go along with it, and. He still, yeah, he he relies on the Icelandic sort of civilization to be who he is. And yeah, he ends up like an important person in society there. He's not, he doesn't like fight a bunch of people and go live in a cave. Hmm.
2: I really quickly going back to Sword Daughter. I actually, there was something I wanted to ask you guys about. And this is basically a very basic narrative question, but backstory the family's village is ravaged for no real reason. The mother is killed. The father, as they say, goes to sleep for 10 years. What does that mean? Like within the context <laughs> of this narrative, what did that I mean? That I was like, yeah. I was like, was he catatonic? Did he want, run away? Yeah. Was he just like hanging out in the, I mean, it's cold out there. Did he, did he have a, did he have like a, a hut? I mean, it seemed like he was just like sitting in a field. Yeah. And well, then the daughter comes.
0: Meditating like asleep for that time.
2: Right and the daughter comes and like defrosts him with a rock for for like <laughs> no real discernible reason.
1: it's so funny that stuck in the back of my head through most of the book because they showed some flashbacks to that moment and it's like the kernel by which this story is built didn't make sense like uh, yeah, maybe you should have alluded to maybe he was like a, what could have been better was like he was a simple swordsman. everything goes to shit and he goes away. And he comes back, this badass, and you don't know the backstory of why he's a badass, and they hint at it as he goes and kills. Like, they didn't do that. Like, I just, and that kernel, that, like, inconsistency bothered the fuck out of me the whole time. And I, I say this, and I don't want to pull the dad card, but, like, yeah, that bothered me. As a father, like, I was just like, I can't relate to this human being I want to relate to you. I related more to the daughter and her trauma, again, as a father. And But I just, ah, what Dag did, it didn't even, it actually just didn't physically make sense to me. Like, how did he do that?
2: Well, yeah, as, as we were talking, like, you gotta, he doesn't even have like a, a hut or anything like that. But more, also emphasizing what we said earlier about Brian Wood raising questions that he has no intent answer. It's like this is that's a perfect example of like overcomplicating the storyline. As you said, he could have just gone away, Kemp cu- and he comes back mysteriously. He doesn't even need to answer it. All that we know is the the father was gone, now he's back. But then you ha- you Brian But they Wood don't even say that. they don't of, say he
1: was gone. No, they no, sometimes no. allude to he was just sitting there.
2: Right, no, no, no. That's the thing. If he if he just returns on his own to find his daughter running wild in this in the woods and says, "You hey, oh, are my daughter. I know you." Then that that that, that makes sense. That's just clean storytelling. There is mystery there it doesn't need to be answered. Whatever. But instead, he adds these layers of complexity. He was sleeping for ten years. What the fuck does that even mean, guys? And he's not even <laughs> going to answer that question. So it's like he's overcomplicating the narrative for like literally no reason other than to just piss us off. I am so I am staring at the back of volume one. A
1: praise for Sword Daughter. And I'm read I just read one line and I think this sums it up. Wood and Shader have taken steps towards the making of a modern classic. <laughs> they took steps, guys. Yeah. <laughs> they set they set something up. And, and even I'm looking at book two. I'm looking at book two, the back of book two. Full of little moments that will pay dividends down the line. Yeah. When I'm reading it, I'm like, this this is gonna have some payoff, isn't it? <laughs>
2: I am left wanting, guys. Oh, Roman, are you specifically wanting to ask me a question, though? I am so full of questions, Ryan. But yeah, I, I guess the question is, what are we reading next week? Next week, Roman, we're going to hell because we're reading Paramus, New Jersey, The City, and Oblivion. Written by Juan Sasturain, illustrated by the legendary Alberto Breccia. So... Paramus, the city in oblivion, was actually not created in New Jersey. It was created when Argentina's military dictatorship was in full force. And Paramus basically follows the escapades of a bunch of political dissidents getting into all sorts of weird hijinks. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be a slog? Is it going to be amazing? Who knows? I haven't read it. Roman hasn't read it. But the library bought me a copy. The library bought Roman a copy? And so we are good to go, and that's what we're going to be reading next week
1: on Quarantine Comics. Ben, thank you for educating me about three more things I did not know about Scandinavian Viking culture. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong at qtdcomics.gmail.com. Give you a social media handle. But we're old, that feels too much work. I'm Roman
2: Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.